Good morning. How's everybody doing? Happy, uh, what, do we have Monday off? I think we have Monday off, right? Well, sorry. I work for the federal government, so <laughs> I guess not everybody has. Well, there's a lot of people that are in banking here. Brian Smith, you're in banking, right? Sorry, that's an inside joke. He, he'll laugh later. Um, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for uh, being here. If you have not gotten one of these, we have a whole box of them up there. So feel free to get up, go grab one. Um, this is our uh, First Peter. I mean, it's, it's, it's the Bible. It's just First Peter, Second Peter, and Jude. So it gives you plenty of space to write notes and um, write in your Bibles. And, and, and kind of as we walk through this, I'll give you guys some stuff to circle and underline stuff. And um, you know, I think it's, it's good, and then you can, like, throw it on your shelf somewhere or whatever, but it's good to be able to go back, right, and to, and to as we step through this um, letter from Peter, you know, I, I, I was thinking about this morning as I was driving in, like, these aren't, like, separate sermons, right? It's, it's a letter, right? God um, God didn't have Peter write a sermon on hope and then like package it up and, and send off the letter and then write another letter on uh, holiness and then package that one up. Like, it's a continuous thought process that, that God is trying to convey um, through Peter to the church. And so that's where we're at this morning is, is we're reading this and going, what does God have to say for us? And um, and so we're connecting it, and Peter's connecting it. So last week, we talked about what was our hope in, right? That our hope was a living hope, that it wasn't dead, that it was not based on just wishful thinking or crossed fingers, right? That, that our hope was based on, founded and grounded on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That, that we know that God has already acted, and so we have hope. And, and it's a firm hope that, that Jesus is going to come back. And so what we're going to see Peter do as we pick up in verse 13 today is that he, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, we're going to see that he says, okay, you've got this hope. Awesome. What does that then mean? And he starts verse 13 with the, the word that we all should always underline and circle and put a big star next to it is the word therefore, Right? What then does that mean to me? Okay, so I have a hope that's alive. What do I do with that? How does that affect my tomorrow? How does that affect my interactions here this morning? How does that affect the way I'm thinking and where my emotions are and how I feel? And that is ultimately what we're going to see Peter launch off of from this hope into a word that, if you saw our post, I think has been completely misconstrued and misunderstood within and outside the church. And that's the word of holiness. And so we're going to jump in and we're going to spend the day going, man, what do we mean? When we say God is holy, 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 I want you to think about this. We're going to get back to this in a little bit. I want you to think right now, what were you singing? What did that mean to you? What does it mean when you say, God, you are holy, okay? So I want you to just pocket that. We're gonna get back to that here in about five minutes or so as we kind of get towards that part in the Bible. But um, 
Uh, if you're a guest here, welcome. I hope that uh, you got to meet people and see people. And if uh, you are part of the church family here and you see people in here that you don't recognize, please, you know, say hi. And, um, you know, obviously everybody that's tuned in online, um, welcome. I know that uh, COVID continues to be uh, a difficulty that is, um, you know, it, it's, it's challenging for all of us. And at times it means that uh, we don't show up. At times it means we show up and, um, you know... Uh, you know, I, we want everybody to be able to worship and to gather in some semblance. And, if, and God has given us technology that allows me to look right into your living room, which is pretty incredible. And, um, and that's a beautiful gift that he's given us. And so we're going to use that. And, and I hope that all of you guys that are here are reaching out to the people that, you know, you know are streaming and are uh, at home uh, because they're still our family and they're still part of this church. So let me start off by praying. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to come before you and to reflect on your holiness. God, we don't hope in things that fade or things that wither. We hope in you. We hope in the creator of the universe. We hope in a God who is holy. And I pray that this morning that you will pierce our hearts, that you will convict us, that you will open our eyes, help us to see ourselves the way you see us, help us to see our lives the way you see them, help us to see sin the way you see it, and help us to love this world and preach the good news, because God, you are holy and you love us. What better combination can there be? In the name of your son we pray, amen. All right, so we're picking up at 1 Peter 1, 13. Okay, so Peter starts off, right? So if you haven't circled this already or underlined it, go ahead and underline it, circle it. Therefore, based on this, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so there's some really cool stuff in here, and literally, I feel like First Peter, like we could go through this like two verses at a time, uh, because this is so packed with meaning. But here, here's a couple things that I, I want us to get out of this. So preparing your minds for action, okay? Um, that expression, it's an expression that actually means gird up your loins, okay? Which means basically grab your tunic, pick it up, and be ready to run. That's what it means, right? So imagine a day when you couldn't run, okay? Uh, confession time, I have pajama pants that run a little bit long, and I often have to go out and tend to our chickens. And, uh, and the grass is always wet in Florida, right? And so that's what I do, right? I grab them, and so my pajama pants don't get wet, right? So that's the idea, right? Like, I got to pick these things up because I got to run. Sorry for the, not that now you guys are all thinking about what my pajama pants look like. It's got SpongeBob on it, and I'm just joking. Um... <laughs> <laughs> this is things I don't write in here. I just, um, so that's what preparing your minds for action. And it's, it's unfortunate because the English word preparing, it kind of is like kind of passive, kind of subtle. It's kind of like, yeah, I can sit in my chair and I can prepare. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying like, get your stuff ready, right? And then he says, be sober-minded, okay? He's not tying this to alcohol here, although that applies, 
He's not saying specifically don't get drunk. He's saying think clearly about your situation. Have the right perspective, right? Make sure that, that you know, when you turn your head, you're now looking over here and, and you can focus and you can see what's going on. Don't be drunk. Don't be drunk on alcohol. Don't be drunk on the world. Don't be drunk on all these other things that distract your attention. But be sober-minded. Think clearly about your situation and everything that's going on around you and this world that you are exiles in. Right? That's what we saw in the first uh, part of 1 Peter. And then what he says is set your hope, right? And we talked about this last week. Set your hope. But he says fully, completely. Like it's not teetering. It's not... It's not a little bit on the resurrection of Jesus and a little bit on our finances. Or it's not mostly on Jesus, but, you know, I mean, I still got to do some good work in order to make sure that this all works out for me. He doesn't say that. He says fully on Jesus. But then look at what he says. On the grace that will be brought to you. Well, Jonathan, didn't we talk about the grace that God already shows on us, right? Like we already are enveloped by God's grace, right? He shows us grace every day. So what does this mean when he says the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ? When Jesus comes back, we cannot even fathom what this is going to be like. We cannot begin to even imagine what the feelings will be when Jesus comes back. And I want us to just kind of sit and bask in this a little bit because I don't think we think about this very often. I think we all expect to die. And then whatever happens, happens. That's what, I think that's what we expect. We don't, we, I mean, and yet the Bible is, is filled with like, hey, be anxious for his return. It could be while I'm standing here preaching. It could be this evening. It literally could be tomorrow. You guys understand that, right? Tomorrow you could not go to work because Jesus comes back. And how glorious would that be? And, and here's, here's the amazing part of this. And, and this is why I think this is a little bit tough for us. It's because when, when life is rough, when we feel like exiles, and we feel like we don't fit in in this world, I think we long for Jesus' return. And that's good. And we should feel like exiles. But when we don't feel like exiles, when this world becomes comfortable, when we start to feel at home, guys, that's when we really need to be hoping for Jesus' return. Because that means we're making this our home. And that's not what he says. He says that we should have place our hope here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through a couple verses um, that talk about Jesus' return. And the first one's in Matthew 24, verse 27. You don't need to turn to it. It's certainly not in your little Bibles. Um, it says, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Think about that. You're not going to watch it on the news. You're not. 
You're not going to read a report about it. You're not going to see it on Twitter. You're going to see it with your eyes, and so will everybody else all the way across this globe. That's impressive. The sun can't claim that. The sun only gets part of the globe at a time, right? All at once, this entire creation will be aware. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So those who are dead will be raised imperishable, like canned goods, right? Like not perishable forever, sorry. Imperishable, like that's it. Like they're preserved forever. And what will happen to us? We will be changed into what? We don't fully know. And it actually says that, like, we, we know that we are still going to have some sort of a body, but it's going to be different, you guys. Like, you're not going to be sad. You're not going to have ailments. We will be changed in a moment. And then look at what it says, um, what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 2. He says, in my Father's house, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's the promise that we have. That's the promise in the resurrection that Jesus died, rose from the grave, and ascended to the Father, and is coming back to, to get us he went to go prepare a place for us. This is where our hope is resting in. So when the things of this world are difficult, or when the things of this world are not difficult, we should be directing our hope on that future. And then look what he says in verse 14. Uh, sorry, back in 1 Peter. So he says, as obedient children, which nothing, like, nothing sets the stage right when he calls a bunch of adults children. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. All right. What does that mean? Holy. What do you guys think of? What's, what's the word? I think, I think we think perfect and righteous holier than thou? How about that expression? Or how about a holy roller? It's a little bit older of an expression. It's not a word we use commonly. 
But I think when we read this verse that says, be holy for I am holy, I think we can, in our minds, set up this bar and go, um, well, that's a big ask. Because I know me. (laughs) And I don't think I can be holy. I know I can't be holy. I, I know I can't be perfect. So how then, what, what does this mean? What does it mean when we use the word holy? All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect a bunch of words for you, and we're not going to spend a lot of time, you know, going into the Hebrew and Greek, okay? But the word holy really means sanctified. The, the articles in the temple, some of them were holy pieces. They were set apart. They were sanctified for ceremonial use. Like they were used for temple worship and sacrifices. They weren't used for anything else. And so they were sanctified. And in fact, the word saints comes from that. We are saints. We are sanctified. We are set apart. God is set apart. The entire Levitical laws, right, which maybe you've read through them, maybe you haven't, but at least in your mind's eye, you know, like, there was a bunch of laws back there. And if you start reading in chapter 11, the number of times that you read God's command for the Israelites to be holy, to be set apart, to be set apart from what? The culture around them. They were going into a foreign land, and he goes, I need you to be distinct, separate. I need you to feel like exiles, not because I care about how you feel, but because your lives are going to demonstrate my holiness, how set apart I am. Here's the the reality is God is infinitely separate from us. I know we think he is a superhuman. Very frequently, we sit there and we think like, God's pretty much just like me, except he created everything. He's not. He's not. He's nothing like you. He's nothing like me. He is holy. He exists outside of time. Okay, think about that one for a second. The word and then doesn't apply to him. This is our God who exists in a state that we don't understand. And so when we sing holy, 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 we're not really singing that he is his conduct is better than ours or that he doesn't sin. He's altogether different from us. While that is true, that is a very small piece of the puzzle. And the only piece that we can relate to, in fact, because God doesn't say, be outside of time like I'm outside of time. The only way we can be set apart, be holy the way God is holy, is in our conduct is in our lives, being separate, being sanctified. You see, holiness is not a matter of perfection or getting ourselves cleaned up or any of those things. Holiness is us being set apart for God's purposes. We talked about this last week. It's it's that our lives are used... For God's kingdom, we are tools that God utilizes here on earth. That's the point. So let me ask you a question. Why 
Why do you struggle with the sins that you struggle with? Why doesn't God just take them away from us? If he wants us to be holy, and he's all-powerful, this is totally within his wheelhouse. He could totally do this. So why doesn't he? Well, he wants us to trust in him, rely on him. But you know what? When he conquers that sin or when your hope is placed fully on the grace that is to come, guess what those around you are going to see and experience through your life? God's grace, your hope. They're going to see the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life. That's the whole point of it. You see, we have convinced ourselves that we are individuals, and that we exist, and that God is just working on us, and he's just polishing us. And, and maybe by the time we die, we're going to be shiny and great, and he's going to put us on a shelf, and he's going to be like, look at that one. I think that's what we think. But that's not the point at all. He wants us to be holy, to be set apart, to be used for his purposes. The only reason that you struggle with depression and discouragement and frustration in your life is so that you can maintain a joy and a hope on Jesus Christ and his resurrection, hoping in the day to come, so that others will go, how in the world do you have hope in the midst of these circumstances? And you go, because my hope isn't resting on something that's fragile and fallen. My hope is in Jesus Christ. You see, that's where our lives take on meaning. And this is what he's pointing to. This is why he says, be holy because I am holy. And then go back to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. Look at what he says. You shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. Put yourself in the days of the Israelites going to this foreign land. What do you think everybody thought? They ate different things? They didn't work one day out of the week? They had all of these ceremonial things? All of that was to set them apart, to make them very distinct. That was the point of it. And so for us, not that we have the same ceremonial laws, but we, are, we ought to be distinct, exiles, separated in this world. And that's why he says in verse 14, as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of what? Your former ignorance. He's not being insulting here. He's saying, like, you just didn't know. That's how we lived. And for those of you who have been brought up in the church, right, I know that, that oftentimes it's hard to see that contrast in your life of what you were and what you became because maybe that happened at a, at a relatively young age. But the reality is, is that you had this former ignorance that created in you passions and he says, you're not like them. You're set apart. You're sanctified. 
So the words that we speak, the things that we do, the lives that we live are set apart. It means everything that we do is for God's glory, not our own. It's for building his kingdom and not our kingdom. That's what he's pointing to here. That's what he's explaining. And then look at what he says in verse 17. He says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. That doesn't sound very hopeful. (laughs) How's Peter connecting this? He says, "If, if, if you call on him as father who judges impartially, basically he's saying he's just. So not only is is our God holy and set apart, and we're supposed to be holy the way he's holy, he's saying that, that you ought to fear him because he's also just. This is where the world stops, by the way. Verse 18, don't worry, we'll get there. But in verse 17, this is where the world stops, and they go, I don't want your God because I know I can't measure up. I, don't, I, don't, I, I can't meet God's expectations. How do I combine this, this command to be pure and, and to always obey, and then he's going to judge me impartially? I'm, I'm a goner. Yep, we all are. And so what should we have? That should create in us a fear. A reverential fear. When we sing those words, holy, 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 you guys get that in Revelation, right? That's what the angels are singing day and night, as if there was day and night. But forever and ever, they're singing holy, holy, holy. You see, we we play around with God, you guys. We have very little reverence. There's very little reverence in our society these days as it is, much less towards God. But we need to think back and go, this God is holy. He's infinitely separate from us. He is not like you and me. He created out of the breath of his mouth. And he's just, and we're goners. And verse 18, fear him, knowing, circle that word knowing, knowing what? That you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Why should you fear him? Not because he's just and he's gonna spite some of us and and save some of us based on how good we are. That's not what he says. Why should we fear him? We should fear him knowing that we were purchased, we were ransomed with what? The blood of Jesus Christ. So this holy God, infinitely separate God from us, jumped down into our mess, into our mire, 
why? Why would he do this if it isn't for his love? And so we see him bridge this gap. This infinitely separate God becomes incarnate in Jesus, right? And he lives and he suffers as a servant, serving us, showing us who God is. And it's his blood, not with silver or gold. God didn't come down with a suitcase to ransom us. He came down himself, the son of God, and saved us. And he rescued us. Why should we fear God? Why should we treat him with reverence? Look at what he's done, guys. Look at what he's done for us. And yet we play around with our lives as if they're ours and we can kind of just do whatever we want to do. And yet our holy God, Philippians 2, right? Jesus gave up heaven. He didn't hold on to it. He gave it up and became a servant. It says in verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. See, anybody's blood doesn't work. It's not like just somebody had to die. This is a matter of a holy God, a separate God, a perfect God choosing to ransom us because he wanted to. Because before the foundation of the world, he determined that that's what he was going to do. Before he even breathed us out into creation, that was his plan. And he knew what we would be. He knew what we would become. And he still rescued us. And that's what it says in verse 20. He was foreknown, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This is why we have a living hope. This is why we live and breathe and proclaim Christ in our lives because we look at this and we go, you guys, the world doesn't even understand that this hope could even exist. They think this religion thing is just something that we play around with because it makes us feel better. No, 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 no. There's a holy God who determined before the foundations of the earth were even laid that he would serve us. And so our response ought to be in fear of this loving, just, holy God. That's our God, you guys. And so look at what Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. He says, Everyone to whom much was given... Of him much will be required. So how much was given? I really struggle with, with, uh, with guilt portions of this, right? 
This isn't a guilt statement. This isn't God saying, well, you know, it's not like it's, it's, your, it's your, you know, great aunt that's like, well, do you remember that gift I gave you last year? Right? Like laying on some sort of guilt that you're trying to like live up to. That's not what, that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying, hey, listen, you, you really owe me one because I did this. That's not the context at all. In fact, what he's saying is, you have been given so much. You have been given life and breath. You've been given hope. You have been given something that people outside of these walls, people inside of these walls, need to hear. They need to hear it. Your friends, your coworkers, your family need to hear about the hope that we have in Christ. And you've got this. And yet somehow we just don't share it the way we should because we, we, just, we just don't think, I don't know why we don't. I, and I'm with you. I get the luxury of standing up here, but even this is, a, is difficult for me, right? Because I stand up here and you guys come and, and I can talk comfortably, right? Like I know you guys want to hear what I'm talking about maybe because it's the Bible. But when I go and I'm sitting around with my coworkers, it's a little bit different. So don't think that I'm like, in a different situation than you guys are. I just don't think we value what we've been given. Or we're not thinking about it often enough. And so this is why he says, place your hope fully on this. Okay, so then what comes out of this? Look at what he says in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So circle that, purified and a pure heart. You guys remember last week we talked about us, right? The trials of our lives, what did they do? They, they refined us, they purified us. Not in the sense that we became flawless and like, finally made it to the point where we don't sin anymore. But it's, it's removing the impurities from us, right? It's, it's refining us. It's making us this pure gold, right? Better than that. And, this is, and it's the same picture words that he's using here that, that we have been purified. We no longer are dual use. We're not, we're not being used for the world and used for Christ. We are sanctified. We are separated we have one purpose as saints, it's to be used for God's kingdom. And so in that sense, our motives, our minds, our thoughts, our actions, they're all purified. We don't, we aren't double-minded. And that's what he's saying here. And what is the result of it? What's the whole result of this holiness and fear, it produces brotherly love. A sincere brotherly love. He says, love one another earnestly. The result is not a shiny new you a less sinning you. That's not what God is after.
It's a byproduct. It'll happen. It's sanctification, but that's not what Peter's talking about here. Look what it says in verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. Love. Love. He says everything else, every hope, Everything in all of creation, this is this quote here, all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of the grass. He's saying everything else is going to go away. It's not going to last. Nothing lasts except the word of the Lord, except God's word, except who God is. God alone will remain forever. And that's the good news. And so when we live and we interact with those around us, that's when our sanctification matters. You guys, a holy you inside of your walls in your house does God no good, is not building his kingdom, is not bringing him glory. doesn't mean he doesn't want you pouring over scripture and praying and fasting and growing closer to him. That's not what he's saying. But there's, there's an effect of that. And the effect is that, that everything that you're going through in your life, good or bad, all of it is for you to be sanctified, to be used for God's purposes. So that in every conversation you have, it will be seasoned with salt. It'll be seasoned with the word of God. And you can go, why, why do I have joy in the midst of these difficult circumstances? Because of Christ. Why do I not relish and, and find my contentment in these material things in this world? Because I'm hoping and waiting for another world. That's what we point to. That's what we keep going back to. And, and how does God use this? He uses it to... To, to tempt, to tantalize those outside that have never heard the gospel. You see, you don't have to go out and say, do you know Jesus? You know, I, I, I don't know. I was talking to, I think, I think it was Melissa. Maybe it was my girls. Um, and we were talking about, like, back in the day, right? Like, I, I feel like Paul and Peter, you're like, well, you were walking into a city. Nobody had heard of Jesus, and you got to walk in going, hey, let me tell you about what happened. I feel like that's a little bit easier than for us. I feel like it. I, don't, I could be wrong here. But for us, we walk into a room, we're like, everybody's heard of Jesus. What am I telling them that they don't know? But it doesn't have to do with data and facts. It has to do with, it has to do with how God uses us in this world. It's, it's the experiences. It's, it's how God moves and works in our lives and gives us a hope and pours out grace on us. That, that can't be communicated in a textbook. That can't be communicated 
but through you. And which is why God chooses to use us. And so then he says in verse, in chapter two, verse one, he says, so based on all this, put away all, and then listen to what he lists. All of these things are interpersonal. Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He says, so love one another. No malice, no deceit, no slander, no envy. Love your brothers and sisters the way God loves them. See, and if we go back and we think about how God rescued us. He loved us when we were unlovable. And maybe there's somebody in your life right now that's unlovable. Maybe they need to see grace. Maybe they need to see forgiveness, what it really looks like. Not, not, just, not just the words that Jesus died for you, but they need to actually see grace lived out in and through you. Let me close with 1 Corinthians 6.20. Paul says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So when he says, be holy because I'm holy, that's not, that's not a bar that we've got to cross. That's not a certain amount of merit that we, we need to do in order to achieve the favor of God. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, be set apart, be exiles, and be about my kingdom. Let me pray.